Now remember that on the, on the video, um, this is a different lecture, but I'm remarkably dressed the same. So <laughs> I went home, took a shower, came back, and put on the same clothes. Now I'd like to introduce uh, Davidic Jerusalem. This will be Jerusalem during the time of, of what we consider King David. Okay? And then we'll talk about Solomon, his son, a little later. Okay? So uh, David's Jerusalem, let's start counting down, calling this the beginning of the Iron Age and 1000 BCE. Okay? Who is David? Most of us, if you've grown up in a Western civilization, are familiar with the concept of David. Okay? Maybe, how many of you have been to Florence? Firenze, right? Have you been to Florence? One of the most beautiful cities in the world. I think much, don't tell people in Rome, but I think much more beautiful than Rome. Uh, center of the Renaissance, right? Florence, beautiful, beautiful. Food is good. Gain a lot of weight. Nice place. Go there if you can. And you can see um, Michelangelo's David, right? Very naked. <laughs> kind of cross-eyed. I can't do it. My, I got, he has a nice six-pack. I have a keg, but it's... <laughs> But, um, but he's, you know, he kind of, you see up there, and it's, it's a very intimidating statue. When you walk around the corner, it's not like it's got this long, you walk around the corner, and then all of a sudden, there's David staring at you, and it's like, wow. It's, anyways, um, that's in Florence. And then, many of you are familiar with the story of David and Goliath, okay? The little boy David, this is a story that we learn about, um, that David is just a little kid, uh, and his brothers are in the army, and they're fighting the Philistines, and um, David's job is to go take lunch to his brothers who were fighting in the army, and they're kind of at a stalemate because uh, the Philistine champions, this big guy, again, like Shaq, he's supposed to be really, really huge back when people were all about this tall, and um, he comes out and he says, why don't we just, instead of fighting, you take your best guy and I'll, they'll fight me because I'm our best guy, and we'll fight, and whoever wins, the other will be the slaves of, that, of the champion. And of course, everybody in the Israelite camp is terrified, and then little David, right, little punky David shows up with these sandwiches and he gives them to his brothers. He goes, hey, why is he mocking our God? And what is he doing? And it's like, well, he's mocking our God because we can't stop him, right? He's big. And David's like, nobody talks about my God like that. And he picks up these stones and he gets his little slingshot, right? And then, of course, Goliath comes out and he's got this helmet and his spear and all this armor. He's ha, 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 right? And David's like, you don't talk to, you know, he slings his little, and, and hits him right between the eyes and thinks, knocks him out and he goes over, picks up a sword and chops off his head the end. Right? And then there's a big question about what happens to Goliath's head and sword. But again, it's one of those textual problems that we, we deal with. Um, but that said, that's the story of David. The reason that most of you know it is because it's that sports metaphor that never goes away, right? Anytime um, you know, UCLA is playing Podunk City College out of some other state, it's like, well, this is the David and Goliath, and, until the person upsets it, right? Whenever the small little school or a guy who's not supposed to win beats the big guy to say a true David and Goliath story. So that's where we get this metaphor, David and Goliath, from this story. So David has these myths and legends and, and just stories told about him in the Bible and outside of the Bible uh, that are passed down through time. So this is beloved King David, the man who basically broke in one set of stories all of the commandments, right? <laughs> but he's considered to be what? A man after God's own heart, right? The Bible says that David's a man after God's own heart. Good King David. We could do a whole class on David and just the stories in the Bible about David. The guy can be so incredibly good and so incredibly evil at the same time. And this is why he's so popular. I mean, it's, we love charismatic leaders 
who are ruthless and yet benevolent, and this is David, okay? You can't really see this, but it's on your handout. David conquers the city. Actually, his army conquers the city, but David takes over, and they call it the city of David. And when you're looking towards the west, north is this way, the temple sits up top, and then this little circle, this little oval, is called the city of David. Okay? And we have this thing on the eastern shore, of the on the eastern side of the valley, that's called the Milo. We'll look at that. We have Warren Shaft, which is a way, we think, to bring water to the Gihon, although that's in dispute now, whether they actually used it to get water or whether they threw a bucket, which now appears to be in dispute. But somehow, this was some kind of natural shaft that led down to the Gihon Spring. And then, of course, we know our valley. So we're talking about this area here, City of David. Let me show you a better picture of it here. Uh, looking to the north, this is actually, when you go to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, somebody built... It used to be on top of the Holy Land Hotel, was it not? It used to be, they moved it. But somebody built a, a, a replica of what the ancient city of David, uh, pardon me, of, of what ancient Jerusalem would have looked like, obviously during the time of Herod with the Temple Mount. But this little area here would have been the city of David, right? The finger. Okay. If we look at it uh, from the east towards the west, again, the Temple Mount here. This area is called the Ophel, which is now an archaeological park. And then what used to be the city of David here. And of course, you can see the three valleys that you need to know. What's this valley here between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount? Kidron Valley. And what's this one that's basically filled in now? Central Valley. And what's this one over here? Hell, right. This is hell. Right? Gehinnom, Valley of Hinnom. We talked about that. Um, uh, here's an, I, I like to show pictures, but I want you to get this, right? Go on Google Earth. Did anybody try the Google Earth plugin? Does it work? You try it? Yeah, it works. Okay, so go to, go to the thing, just double click on that plugin, download it, and then just, it's got all the pins, it's got all the stuff in it. You can just interactively walk around the city. Again, the Gihon Spring, uh, the city of David, we're talking about for the next few slides, this area right here, just south, just south of the Temple Mount. Uh, here's another view of it, a little higher. Uh, here's a view of it from the south towards the north. Now, there's a long excavation history of Jerusalem. I don't want you to know it for the exam, but I want you to have this in case you're writing about this time period for your paper, about the excavation of Jerusalem. Maybe you're comparing that to the biblical text of it. You're going to compare the, the archaeological record with the biblical record. This is what it looks like a few years ago. Again, the Temple Mount, and we're dealing with this area right here, the City of David. Okay? Here is your um, excavation. There's been a lot of digging here. I'm just going to highlight a couple of them. Edward Robinson was the first man, and by first man, we mean first Western man in modern times, right? Wasn't obviously the first guy to dig there, uh, to go through Hezekiah's Tunnel, which we'll talk about. Wilson and Warren under the Palestine Exploration Fund, surveyed uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel. And this is why we call it Warren Shaft. Uh, Conrad Schick, uh, Bliss and Dickey were there, a Parker expedition. You can go through all, the way, all the way down through modern times, right? Catherine Kenyon in the, in the 60, Kathleen Kenyon in the 60s excavated numerous areas around the city, including a cut down uh, uh, the eastern slope in order to understand the fortification of the city of David. And then Yigel Shiloh excavated several areas in the city of David, including the important area G that we're going to look at. 
in just a second. Okay, so you don't need to know this for the exam, but it's great reference if you're writing a paper on this area. Um, let me give you a couple more shots of the area we're going to talk about. Again, you can see here, again, now we're looking, we got every angle. Uh, we're looking towards the, the northeast. Again, you can see the central valley here, which is basically filled in. Pool of Siloam is down here. Um, we're not sure, they want to call that the Tomb of David, but this is the, the city of David here. Oh, and you can see the Dung Gate, right? The Dung Gate, which is where they used to bring the trash. That's what they call it, the Dung Gate. Um, I love this picture. This is a neat picture. This is from the south, almost looking due north, a little towards the east. Uh, towards the east. Um, but this is, um, to the east of Jerusalem is the city of Silwan. A lot of political controversy, because the line that separates east and west Jerusalem, west Jerusalem is essentially uh, Israeli Jerusalem, Jewish Jerusalem, and east Jerusalem is Palestinian Jerusalem. And there's a lot of uh, conflict uh, today about Israelis building houses in eastern Jerusalem, right? Basically buying up land and building up houses, which Palestinians either sell to them or they, they find some reason to take it and then they build it into a, a housing complex and the Palestinians are saying you're just buying us out of our home you're buying us out of our land and then the idea at least the the what the Palestinians think is part of the plan is to just buy it all and get rid of buy out or forcibly move all the Palestinians out of East Jerusalem but this area over here is basically Palestinian Jerusalem and over in here you have Israeli Jerusalem um, Back in the day, this was referred to as the Hill of Offense. Okay, and this is a good example of how biblical text can be used to perpetuate modern stereotypes. Okay? It was called the Hill of Offense because in the in next lecture, the lecture that where we talk about Solomon, Solomon built idols to other gods on this hill, which is a no-no in, in, in Jewish tradition. So they called it the Hill of Offense. It happens to be the Hill of to the east of the city of Jerusalem, which is where Palestinians live today, which is a way to use a biblical text to perpetuate a modern stereotype. Oh, that's offensive to God that Palestinians live there. That's not what the text says, but it's a text to use. So they call it the hill of offense. I don't find that very funny. The one I do find funny is this, this hill down here to the south was referred to as the hill of evil counsel. Today it's the United Nations headquarters, which I find quite funny, okay? So anyways, so we're looking north here, but this is when we refer to Silwan or Silvan, um, we're talking about Palestinian Jerusalem here, the Ophel here, which has a lot of Palestinian homes in it, uh, the city of the old city of David, and then of course western Jerusalem is Israeli Jerusalem. Um, this is a picture of Silwan here. Now we're looking towards the south. Um, the British when they controlled, and we'll talk about this in week nine, when the British controlled uh, this area, they didn't help perpetuate the, they didn't help bring about more tolerance, right? They kind of, they kind of continued that, that tradition of people who live in Silwan, Silwan's got a very bad reputation as people who are rough and they, they don't abide by the law. And so again, um, how much of that is true and how much of that is tradition, biblical use, you know, the use of Bible to perpetuate stereotypes against folks. Um, but because it's so close to Jerusalem, so close to the Temple Mount, and yet it's Palestinian Jerusalem, 
it causes a lot of conflict between the two sides. Okay? And we'll look at a dig that is digging right in here that is causing a lot of conflict in just a second. Uh, here's the evidence. Here, here's the biblical text in case you're interested. 1 Kings 11, 7 through 8. Solomon built a high place for uh, Chemosh, uh, the abomination of Moab, right, is their god, uh, and Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem, which is Silwan. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives and offered incense and sacrifice. Basically, worshiping other gods is a no-no. Solomon did it anyway. He did it on this hill. And so the Israelites called this hill the hill of offense. They call it that today for other reasons, obviously. But um, Again, the Kidron Valley. I know I've shown you too many pictures of this. I want you to know that it used to be about 60 feet deeper. This is filled in. This is about 60 feet, about 20 meters above what it used to be. So it used to be even steeper. Okay. Let's talk about the Milo for a second. The Milo is, um, would have been this stepped structure, and there's some controversy over whether we can call this the Milo or not, but let's set that aside for a second. There's a step structure on the eastern slope of the city of David, of the eastern hill. Remember, this is west up here, and this is east. North is this way. It looks like this, okay? Um, it was uh, designated by excavator Yigel Shiloh as Area G. A um, lot of excavations in it. Um, it appears to be some kind of buttress or support above the Gihon Spring for whatever was built on top. It appears to be some kind of retaining wall, maybe something like that, okay? It's got um, the structure is uh, preserved to a width of 45 feet has a height of about 60 feet. A total of 55 steps were uncovered. There are probably more steps, but people are living you know, there, so you can't, you, you gotta rip up their houses and they don't wanna do that. Some of them do wanna do that, and that's the big controversy. But that's what we've got, 55 steps uh, on the eastern uh, slope of stratum 14 of, of Shiloh's excavation. They used to call it, well, I guess I can go to the slide here. Um, it's so basically more than five-story high, the largest Iron Age structure in Israel, so from the time of David. Uh, they nicknamed it the Jerusalem Pyramid for a while, which is stupid, so we don't call it that anymore, but it, people thought it was the site of a pyramid. No, it's not. Um, uh, it served as a huge retaining wall. It was covered with plaster, probably supported something on top, and may have supported, and this is speculation, <clears throat> the upper structure of David's palace. That's the big, that's the big, you know, what was this thing there for? And is it the Malo described in the Bible? Do you have all this? Should I wait a second? Any questions so far? Remember, you can print this out. You don't have to write it all down. Just get it later. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things that they found <coughs> in this excavation. One of them is called the House of Ahiel. Achiel. Two ostriches were found uh, in a little house that they found up against this step structure, and they called it uh, the house of Achiel because the name Achiel was found on one of the sherds. Uh, it's a typical Israelite house. It has four rooms separated by pillars which supported a roof. Okay? Outside the stairway um, to the south presumably led to the flat roof of Achiel's house. The eastern side of the house was poorly preserved, but the western side on the hill was well preserved because it was close to the slope. 
and you can see the pillars. You can see the pillars there. They found uh, cosmetic items, housewares, um, and we're thinking it was preserved because of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, which we'll get to a little later. Okay, this is Shiloh Stratum 10. Here's a picture above. You can see it a little better. So up against this step stone structure was a house, right in here. Um, we refer to it as a four-room house. It's, it's not atypical. It's typical of a lot of the houses that we find. Um, and the idea, we can see it reconstructed here, is you build your three rooms, one, two, three, and then you have a second floor or a roof. And then you would live up on top. That's where you would sleep. And then you could use the bottom for animals. Very simple structure, very common structure. This, is, this has been proposed as one of the pieces of evidence that shows for a unified, not unified, but a, a um, unique Israelite people. <clears throat> Basically, after the 10th century, about the 10th century, we begin to see this four-room house all around uh, places in Israel, which would mean some kind of common form of construction. The question is, did other peoples use a four-room house as well? So here you can see it in a reconstruction in relation to uh, the step stone structure. And here you can see an artist reconstruction. So basically, they're agricultural abodes. I don't know if I want to sleep above you know, the, the stables, but if you grew up on a farm, does anybody grow up on a farm anymore? Good. OK, so some of us know what, know what this smells like. My father, I used to, we used to drive out on the country roads, and I would smell that smell of manure. I said, Dad, what's that smell? And he would always give me the same line. Anybody know it? It's the smell of money, son. It's the smell of money. Smell of money. When you're from Fresno, that's, that's, there's a reason that people live around that smell. It's, it's, uh, it's the smell of money. The house of the Boule. Let me show you one other one. Um, there was another building excavated in Area G, which was quite remarkable because we found 51 clay Boule. These are, these are uh, impressions, seal impressions, that have hardened. Usually, they're, they're clay impressions that uh, usually, you know, you put like nowadays they put the wax seal on a, on a letter. They would put clay seals on things. And then if something happens and there's a fire, the seals harden. And then we get, we get these inscriptions. And you can see the Semitic writing on it up there. Um, it's one of the better finds uh, of this period. Two people listed on the boule are mentioned in the Bible. Okay? One is Gemar Yahu, son of Shaphan who is mentioned four times in Jeremiah 36, 9 through 12, and 25 through 26. And he's an official friendly to Jeremiah. So you have this seal impression. Think about the evidence. You have a seal impression found in context okay, with uh, the name of someone that appears in the Bible. And the question then you have to ask next is, how common is the name Gemariyahu? Right? Names in the, in the first century like Jesus and James and John, you know, the, these are pretty common names, like Matt, you know, Ted and Bill and Bob today. Gimmer Yahoo, maybe there were more than some of them, maybe not. But the fact that you've got an inscription with a name on it and a place that is kind of referred to in Jeremiah as a place where scribal activity may have taken place may lend some evidence to some theory that this may have been a house of a scribe. Maybe. That's the theory that some people promote. Um, another uh, inscription has uh, Azariah, son of Hilkiah, who was a priest and the grandfather of Ezra. Okay, so you've got seal impressions now 
that have names on them discovered in context that are similar to names in the Bible. And then the question is, is that enough evidence to say, ah, this person that's mentioned in the Bible really did exist. In fact, we have an, a seal impression right in Jerusalem where he was said to have lived uh, that confirms this biblical account. Or do you say, that could be anybody named Gemer Yahu? Okay? That's the big question. Now, there were other seals that were found, including a horde of about 250, a horde with a D, of about 250 bulle, uh, but they were from an unknown provenance. That is, they weren't found in an archaeological excavation. Therefore, it wasn't in a sealed context. Therefore, we're not sure where they came from. Somebody bought them on eBay or you know, whatever eBay was before eBay. And because they were not found in an archaeological excavation, we can't count them. They may have been forged. They may have been... And some other people will say, no, it, it's real. And other people will say, no, it's, it's... If you don't find it in a sealed... This is why I am part of a consortium of scholars who refuse to buy antiquities and who refuse to promote antiquities. And many publications, the scholarly publications, will not publish any antiquity that's not found in a sealed archaeological dig. Because it's too easy to do what was done with the James ossuary or some of these other fake inscriptions to grab something that may be, may be authentically old and write an inscription on it and say, look, Jesus really lived. See, we have an inscription. But it was found on eBay, so it doesn't count, right? right? It's too easy to do that. So a lot of scholars today won't even discuss or publish or talk about inscriptions that weren't discovered in context. The Gemer Yahu inscription was. These other inscriptions were not. The, the hoard of 250 bulle. <clears throat> Here's a close-up of it here. <clears throat> and then I'll read in Jeremiah 36. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the skull in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariahu, or Gemariah, son of Shaphan. So the same guy who's mentioned in that seal discovered in context in Jerusalem is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah as being the secretary or the scribe of the king of Jerusalem. That's pretty good evidence, if it's all legit. It's pretty good evidence of maybe this guy really existed, maybe the king had a scribe, and I think there's no reason to doubt that. Kings have scribes. Kings have people who write things for secretaries and things. So that's the evidence we have. Now, I want to end today's lecture. I have three minutes. I want to end today's lecture with this. The existence of David was controversial. Let's put it that way. Most biblical scholars, not most, I shouldn't say that. A lot of biblical scholars denied that David existed. They denied that Solomon existed. And they wouldn't concede that there was any true history of Israel until the 9th century, not the 10th century. So David and Solomon, those were all just fantastic legends and stories made up. And you don't get to real history, if you can call it that, in the Bible until the 9th century. David is never mentioned outside of the Bible in any con other than the Bible. You have no mention of David whatsoever until, until then, a site far up in the north of Israel, we found an inscription, which we call it the Tel Dan steel, the Tel Dan um, inscription, carved into black basalt, uh, erected by an Aramaic king. It's an Aramaic inscription. It's not Hebrew. And he's bragging about all the people he conquered, right? This is what you do in antiquity, right? Today, when you win the Super Bowl or something, nowadays, the, the proper thing to do is to say, well, I want to give credit to the other team. They, they fought a good battle, and, 
and uh, you know they're a worthy opponent. We we you know we were fortunate to. Be. That's not what you do in antiquity. In antiquity, you say, I'm the best. I'm the baddest. You know, you, you kind of do the who, Keyshawn. Who's the equivalent of uh, Keyshawn Johnson today? These guys are like, I'm bad. I'm the, I'm the best thing. I'm the best thing on the earth. No one can hang with me, right? This kind of thing. And you brag. You make a big inscription and you list all the people that you defeated, right? That's what you did, and that's what you've got on this inscription. And one of the people who were defeated are the Beit David, or the Beit David, the House of David. And this caused a big ruckus back when it was discovered because you've got your first, perhaps, your first extra-biblical reference to David. Now, it doesn't prove that David existed. It was written a couple of hundred years, 150, 200, after David would have reigned. But what it does demonstrate is that there was some people that referred to themselves as the house or the descendants of David, the people of David. Again, David didn't write this, and it doesn't prove that he existed. What it proves is that somebody thought he did a long time ago. Okay, we'll pick up with the David inscription uh, on Tuesday. Do you have a paper due on Tuesday? Yes. So bring your papers here on Tuesday. You will turn them in here in class, okay, at the beginning of class. Thank you, guys. See you next week.